Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Victory Church, good morning. Let's make some noise in the house, Edmund Campus. Hey, Edmund, it's so good to be joining you at the Edmund Campus, everybody watching online. What a pleasure, what an honor. A happy new year. It's 2023. I know it's not the first Sunday of the year, but it is for me. And so I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to, to launch off into the new year. Uh, first, before I jump into the message, I want to remind everybody or let everyone know if you haven't heard this yet, but every year as a church, we go, uh, we as a church go into 21 days of fasting. And that can mean different things for different people. Maybe you're fasting social media, maybe you're, maybe you're fasting uh, a time, screen time of uh, television, maybe you're fasting sweets, um, uh, maybe you're fasting fasting, maybe you're skipping meals, maybe you're not eating. For I know people right now that are doing a 40-day fast. Uh, water only. And so whatever that means for you, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do, we invite you to go on that journey with us as a church. Uh, we as a church are starting tomorrow. Okay. So tomorrow you're like, oh good. Whew, cheeseburgers tonight. <laughs> Cheesecake for dinner. We're going to load up to sustain us for 21 days, whatever it takes. Uh, but we invite you to go on that journey with us. And, and if you haven't already, you'll need to sign up because we'll be sending out a devotional every single day. And so you can go to the website. The website is, uh, let me just look up here, victory.church forward slash fasting, all right? Victory.church forward slash fasting. And there, on there, you'll find out more. Maybe you don't even really understand the spiritual benefits of fasting. Maybe you don't know what that means. There's educational tools on there. There's all sorts of things on there, but you can also sign up to receive these daily um, devotionals. And we want you to join us with that. And it's 21 days. We will end on January 29th, is that correct? That's a Sunday. On January the 29th, we will end. And mark your calendars now because Sunday night, we're gonna do a global worship night here at the OKC campus, Edmund Campus OKC. We will end our fast with shouts of hallelujah, okay? We will, we will end our fast uh, worshiping and we'll have food here. It'll probably be very unhealthy food to, to break our fast. And so Sunday night, join us here, uh, global worship night for that. You'll hear more about that coming soon. All right. Uh, open your Bibles with me to James chapter one, James chapter one. I want to bring a message to you that's continuing in this season called expecting. Uh, if you're new to Victory Church, I encourage you to go back to the archives and listen to what the Lord has been saying to this house in the subject of expecting. And we're expecting. We believe that God's going to do something both in our church, but also in our lives, in our individual lives in 2023, and even that word expecting is a word of full of faith that we may not fully understand, we may not fully grasp, we, we may not fully know, but we expect 
that there's something growing on the inside of me and there will come a day that I'm going to give birth to it. And so if you've missed those, those, sermon series, uh, the, those sermons in the, in, the, in, that, in the series, go back and listen to those. Um, Pastor Jimmy Evans brought a great message a couple of weeks ago that you should go back and listen to if you missed that. Uh, so, so be sure and go back if you've missed some of those and, and listen to every one of those messages. Today, I want to bring a message to you that I knew about a couple of months ago and I was saving it for today. I was saving it for uh, the brand new, very first kind of launching sermon of the year. And I knew that it was gonna be a fitting, but I gotta be honest with you, I've wrestled with it, all right? For, for a few months, I've wrestled with the theology of this. I've wrestled with the practicality of this, but I'm convinced of something. And it all started with a book. I've, I've mentioned this maybe a time or two from stage, not in a sermon context, but uh, several months ago, my wife, Michelle, read a book. And I don't even remember what, what book it was off the top of my head. But something in that book triggered her to start saying a phrase. And she just started saying it around the house all the time. Uh, enough to where eventually I was like, where, why are you keep saying that? <laughs> and where did you get that phrase? Um, and then it became a, a phrase that we just started saying to each other. It became a kind of a mantra phrase in our home when either one of us were challenged, were frustrated, discouraged. If we were dreading something coming around the corner, um, if one of us were, were um, complaining or, or, or frustrated, the other, the other spouse would just automatically start saying, expect God's best. Expect God's best. And it didn't matter what kind of frame of mind I was in, no matter what dark, deep hole I was in mentally or emotionally, when she would say, expect God's best, my very first reaction was, shut up, I don't want to hear that, you know. But it would instantly transform into me having, forcing myself to go inward and say, what do I really believe about my father? What do I really believe? It forced me to take a feeling and transform it into a truth. And so what I wanna to talk to you about today is the this, is this subject of, of expect God's best. And, but before I, before I get into that, I wanna share with you why I wrestled with this. Um, I wrestled with this because I, I really thought, you know, it's one thing to say it, like say it to your neighbor, say, expect God's best. Sounds good, doesn't it? And in the moment, it even feels good. But is it reality? Like, I'm a realist. I'm very much a realist. Uh, I, I wouldn't even say I'm an optimist or I wouldn't say I'm a pessimist either. I'm just a realist. I wanna know what it is and I wanna deal with what it, what is. And, and so when I apply my realist mind to expect God's best, I'm like, but can we? Can we just be real for a minute? Like my grandfather has had dementia for three or four years and died last week. I will go to his funeral tomorrow. Is that God's best? Is it okay to be real in church? Is that cool? I mean, can we be real? Because we can put our halos on in here and pretend like everything's great. I'm blessed and highly favored, but, but the world is waiting right outside that door to hit our emotions. And the truth is we live in a broken world. We live in a world full of pain. We live in a world full of physical hardship and sickness and disease. We live, we live in a life full of, of every turn around the corner could be a bad day, Right? And so when we say we expect God's best, what do we really mean in that? And that's what I wanna to try to unpack today because we can't just say a phrase without understanding what we're truly saying and what we truly mean by that. And to be honest with you, um, we've become a nation that expects the worst. I mean, with, 
the, the woke world we live in, if a politician takes a stage and walks up to a mic before his mouth even opens, I expect the worst. <laughs> if, if I get a letter in the mail from the IRS, I expect the worst. If there's an announcement coming about taxes, it's probably not a tax cut. I expect the worst, right? And so how do we transform our minds as believers in a world where everything feels like it's the worst? How do we as believers transform our thinking to, to be able to say, and not just to say, but to mean it? That I expect God's best. And I have been on this journey, and I, I have to invite you to go on your own journey, because I have been on this journey for a few months, and you need to go on your own theological journey, and your own philosophical journey, and your own soul journey to discover if this phrase is something that you can say. But I'm here to tell you, I have studied this, I have researched this, I have prayed this, I have felt this, and now I can say explicitly, I expect God's best. For me and my house, we're gonna expect God's best. And, and why? For, for a couple of reasons. Because I may be in this world, but I'm not of this world, right? Um, they're, they're, greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world. There, there's all these things, and I think the Bible is explicit. Let me just share a couple of things with you to help you kind of jumpstart your journey to whether or not you can begin to say this phrase in your home. Let me just give you a couple of a biblical references that, where I believe the Bible says that we can expect God's best. Uh, three instances real quick, and then I gotta preach a sermon. Um, the angel comes to Mary to tell her she's pregnant. We just celebrated Christmas and we, we heard all about this, but there's one phrase that, that the angels tells Mary that tells me that I can expect God's best. And it's this, in Luke 1, the angel said, for with God, nothing is impossible. So the angel saying, Mary, I know how you feel, but let me tell you the reality. You can expect that God's best is gonna be worked through you. Um, for Paul, Paul, Paul expected God best. In, in Ephesians 3.20, he said, now to him who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. You can expect it. Paul said you can expect this. And we just sang, we sang a song about this this morning, about the, the, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. These are, these are the words of Paul, of, of David. So King David said, I can expect God's best. In Psalm 27.13, he said, I remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord when I get to heaven. No, he didn't say someday, you know, like the old hymns say, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Sing it with me. When we all see Jesus. That wasn't in my notes. I hadn't done that any other time. That just came to me. It must have been the Holy Spirit. Now listen, it says, I will see the goodness of the Lord here on earth in the land of the living. I can expect it. I can expect God's best boots on the ground. And the very next verse, verse 14, is, is how you do this. Wait. <laughs> Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. So I encourage you to go on your own journey, but I am giving you a phrase, if you want it, to live your life in 2023, and it's the title of my sermon today, Expect God's Best. Expect God's Best. I wanna unpack this, and, I, and I, you may still need convincing. 
life may have thrown you some curveballs, and maybe you're going through some challenges in life, and I, 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 I kind of charge you, so to speak, to go on your own journey to discover if this is a phrase that you can begin to not only say, but to truly believe in you. One word of warning as you go on your own little spiritual journey here, I, will, I would encourage you by just saying your feelings will always fail you, but the word of God never will. So if you're gonna go on a journey to see if something is true, you better start with the word of God. Okay, you better start with the word of God. But I'm not here to convince anybody of that today. You go on that journey. I'm not here to convince you to, to, to adopt this phrase, expect God's best. That's between you and the Lord and whatever God's doing in your heart. But I am here to convince you that if you want to expect God's best, I'm gonna give you three things um, of how to go about it. Okay? The reason this is a really complicated phrase is because we have to understand these three things before we can truly step into believing that I can expect God's best, all right? Because left to our feelings, we will, we will come to conclusions that aren't accurate. So I wanna give you three things, and I'm gonna do it in the passage that I gave you to start, James chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, go to James chapter one. James chapter one, verse two through eight. Let's read this together. It says, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Let's skip that verse. Okay, can we just skip that verse? Like, I don't even... Mm, 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 mm. Verse three. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing Verse five, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith, okay, pause, keep that up on the screens. Your faith is the part that I'm coming in at today. Your faith that, that this is referring to is the part of you that's expecting. So whatever part of your soul, whatever part of your heart, whatever part of your mind is in this season of, I don't know what it is, but I'm expecting, it, that's your faith. Okay, so he's, he's dealing with that part of us. He says, be sure that your faith, the part of you that's expecting, is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Now watch verse seven. This will pop you between the eyes, all right? Watch this. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. <laughs> it's like, if you wanna say expect God's best, you better not have divided loyalty. You better, the part of you that's expecting, you should put that faith in God alone. Not your feelings, not what people say, not what your circumstances say. And it's saying that if you do anything other than put that part of your life solely upon God, it then lists us and labels us as one in which our loyalties are divided. And when our loyalties become divided, scripture says, you shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. Verse eight says, their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. So I'm, all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna let the word of God preach to us today and I'm gonna take this passage of scripture and I'm gonna pull three truths from it, all right? 
three truths. So the, to, to pull the first one, let's go back to verse five. Verse five says, if you need wisdom, let's pause again, leave that up on the screen. If you need wisdom, let's just think about what wisdom is. Wisdom means you need to know something that you don't already know. Therefore, wisdom is something that is saying, you don't know what to expect, so you need wisdom. I'm expecting, but I don't exactly know what I'm expecting. There's something around the corner of my life. There's a career, there's a financial situation, there's a relationship, there's an addiction, there's something in my life that I know something good is around the corner, but I don't know what to, what to expect. And this is what this scripture is saying. If you need wisdom, ask. Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but, everybody say, but. So he's saying, yeah, if you need something, ask. But there's one little thing that I need to add to this. When you're gonna ask, there's a particular way in which I need you to approach the throne room. He says, but when you ask, be sure that your faith, your hope, your trust, your confidence is in God alone. All right, point number one, if you're taking notes. I don't always know best. If I'm, if I'm expecting, if I wanna say the phrase, I expect God's best, the best is the subject in this phrase, right? But I, when I say that phrase, simultaneously in my mind, I have to say, but you know what? I don't always know best. So if you really want to expect God's best, we got to start with this word best. <laughs> What's best? Best is one of the most subjective words in the English language. So the definition of best, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is of the most excellent, effective, or desirable type of quality. Right? So if I set down... Uh, 30 of you at the Edmond campus. And I said, hey, I want you to tell me who has the best pizza in Oklahoma City. I would get 10 different answers, right? Who, what's the best laptop, PC or Apple? Apple, thank you. Everybody else, leave the church now. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> if you text me and, and it's green and not blue, we can't be friends, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I'm kidding, all right? but we all have different versions of what we think is best. My, my CFO at the university is, is a PC uh, gal and I'm at Apple and we have these conversations all the time. This is best, no, this is best. And this is why this is best. And this is why this is why. Because best is subjective. That's why in the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Elf, when he runs into the coffee shop and the sign out front says, world's best cup of coffee. And he's like, congratulations. <laughs> the world's best cup of coffee. And it's like the worst cup of coffee on the planet. It's best. What, what's, what's best? And the older I get, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I understand about life, but the less I really know. <laughs> when I was 21, I knew everything. All right. I just wait. People just need to sit in a line. And when I was 21, I'll let you know. I know how the world spins. I know how everything works. Um, let's look at this phrase, this verse again. James 1, 5, it says, if you need wisdom, ask, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but we gotta ask in a particular way. We ask in a way that we're sure that our faith is in God alone. Uh, let me ask all the parents a quick question. If you um, imagine, there'd be a fun case study, right? Um, if somebody raised a child from birth to, to the age of 20, and every single thing the kid thought was best, they raised them in that way. 
can you imagine? Like my son Jace loves candy. Like when, 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 we, when he gets candy, I put it in the safe, in my house. If, if, he had, if, if I was like, son, I want you to raise yourself however you see best. He would eat candy three meals a day. And for him, that's best. He would have diabetes at the age of six, right? All I'm saying is we don't always know best. And if we wanna live our life in a way that says, I'm expecting God's best, but the whole time I think I know what's best. And then when God doesn't do what I think is best, then he's a mean God. We have to say, I expect God's best, knowing that the circumstances that, that come after that phrase may not line up with what I thought was best, but my faith is in God alone. I'm not wavering back and forth between what, what, what the Lord is saying and what I'm feeling. I'm sturdy and strong in knowing that I trust the Lord and he's, he's guiding me and he's leading me in a way that I know that he's doing what's best. And one of my favorite, favorite verses, Job, the book of Job is one of the most convoluted, difficult books of the Bible to really comprehend. And theologians for centuries have tried to unpack it and there's so many rich truths in it. One of my favorite uh, verses in that whole book of the Bible is in chapter 13 and where, where Job literally just says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He's saying, you know what, this is horrible. I don't understand this. And from my perspective, this is the worst case scenario, but I'm just gonna trust that God knows something I don't know. And so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna trust him. Let's go to, to verse, to verse um, six. We'll pull out the second truth, all right? Verse six says this. This is, this is such a rich verse, six and seven. It says, do not waver for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind, then it gives this unbelievably crazy warning. Verse seven, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And it kind of takes this thing of, of wow, I'm a part of this equation. <laughs> if I want to expect God's best, this isn't just something, I don't get the luxury of just sitting back and barking orders at God and expecting him to be a vending machine to do everything that I expect him to do that this verse tells me that I can't have divided loyalties. If I'm gonna trust God, I gotta put my trust in God alone. And then it says, verse seven, and if I don't, then I shouldn't expect anything. So point number two, if you're taking notes, point number one was I don't always know best. Point number two is I don't always do best. And this won't be a popular one. We'll try to get through this one as quick as we can. Nobody's gonna amen, no white hankies here. But I can't, preach expect God's best without bringing in a very important variable to this. Because there are, whether we like it or not, there are consequences to our mistakes. Um, there is forgiveness, always. If, if, if I leave here today and I murder someone, that, the person that I murder, their family can forgive me, God would forgive me, but I'm probably going to jail. Why? Because I did it. There was something that I did that caused a circumstance to roll out the way that it did. And for some reason, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but um, sometimes it's the devil and sometimes it's my own stupidity. And it's real easy to blame it on other people and it's real easy to blame it on the devil. But for some reason, when we're calculating our own lives and how our lives spin out and turn out, 
um, we rarely add the equation of what we've done to the equation. Um, the devil didn't give you diabetes, McDonald's did. <laughs> okay, that's quiet, we'll keep going. You know, I'll say it, I don't care. Um, <laughs> God's not holding back financial blessings from you. He's waiting on you to just step into the promises that are very clear in his scripture. So sometimes, sometimes the Lord, I, I do believe that sometimes the Lord divinely withholds things to teach us. He, he disciplines us. It's very clear in scripture that the Lord disciplines us. It's very, very clear in scripture. I do think that we do not fight against flesh and blood, that we have been principalities and, and, and there is demons, there is a devil and he does want to kill you. He does want to destroy you. But these are three different equations and at any given circumstance, it might be God's directive, it might be the enemy, and it might be me. And I just think when we're saying, I expect God's best, I need to be willing to say, but you know what? I just don't always do best. Sometimes I make mistakes. And sometimes my mistakes play into this. Let me just show you a couple of verses. Romans 6, 23 says, these are very clear. This is, this is New Testament. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So if you sin, there is a wage to be paid. But the gift of God is eternal life. So I love that but. I'm excited about that but. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Uh, Isaiah 59, 2 says, your iniquities have separated you from God. These aren't fun, I know. We'll get through them as quick as we can. Just hold tight, all right? But we have to understand that sometimes when things don't go best, I gotta be willing to say, maybe I'm the reason. But here's the good news. The good news is that we serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances and seventh chances. Ask Jonah. Jonah messed this thing up royally. I mean, imagine if Jonah was like, yeah, I expect God's best for tomorrow. I expect God to give me a call. It's gonna be amazing. God shows up, cool, I'm here. I need you to go to Nineveh. He's like, nope, not doing that. You would think God would have been like, okay, I guess I'll find somebody else. God chases this dude down. He says, hey, I got a calling for you. About face, go back, okay? So the good news is, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, even when I don't do best, he works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So just keep this in your calculator, okay? I'm just saying when you're calculating whether or not you're experiencing God's best, one, always calculate in that I don't know best and always calculate in that I don't always do best either but I serve a God that will redeem and restore and get me back up. And every time I run back home to the father as a prodigal son, he doesn't just open his arms. He runs out and meets me halfway. And he gives me a royal robe and he gives me a signet ring. And he says, welcome back, kill the fattened calf. Let's have a feast. Okay. All right. The third one, let's go to, to, to um, James chapter one, verse eight. Verse eight, it's almost like a repeat of verse six and seven. It's crazy, which means he really wants us to understand this. It says their loyalty is divided. Same exact thing. 
A, a, a divided loyalty says it for the second time, which means we should really lean into this. And their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And because of this, they are unstable, not in some things. Every single area and component of their life is unstable because they have divided loyalties. So I don't, number one, I don't always do best. Number two, I don't always, I'm, number one, I don't always know best. Number two, I don't always do best. Number three, I should always give my best. I should always give my best. So it's saying that we have these, we have a tendency in our feelings and our emotions and our minds that we, we become divided, okay? And when I say we, I mean me. Like, I'm with you. I'm encouraged right now. Tomorrow, I may be discouraged. And my, my loyalties become divided again. It means my loyalties of what I'm trusting in, what, I'm, what my confidence is in, become divided. And so what this is saying is I need, to, I need to make sure that I'm not, part of me's over here and part of me's over here. Uh, I'm not riding a fence. Talks about this in Revelation. Jesus will spit us out if we're lukewarm. I'm not, I'm not hot. I'm not cold. I'm just kind of, man, I'm just kind of, my loyalties are divided here, right? It can be this way in the way we live with sin and all those kind of sort of things. That's the way we normally kind of frame it all. It can also be this way in our spirit, in our heart, our faith. What is my faith in? Is my, my faith is in God. Yes, I'm tithing, I'm tithing, I'm tithing. Oh, snap, economy, interest rates. Maybe I should withhold a little bit and creep over here into the comfort of this world. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so what this is saying is, if I expect God's best, I should be willing to give mine. God, God gives us his best. And so our only response is, you get mine too. You get, you get my best. So I, I had this unbelievably convicting moment last weekend. I was at the Edmond campus and we were doing communion and, and we have these moments before we receive communion where we say, hey, I want you to take a minute. I want you to examine your heart and see what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. And so I'm just sitting there with my cup and my bread. And man, I received one of the most precious gifts we get as believers, the gift of conviction. <laughs> and maybe you've never thought about conviction as a gift. We think conviction is like this mean word. One of the most brilliant gifts that we get from the Holy Spirit is the gift of conviction. And I get this crazy conviction. And before I tell you what it is, I wanna kind of set this up. So in the Old Testament, um, the Israelites kind of fell into the same thing. You'll see this all through scripture that James is talking about, this divided loyalties, divided loyalties. One minute the Israelites are, are building altars, worshiping the Lord, they're so excited. The next minute they're building a golden calf and, and doing crazy stuff, right? They're divided loyalties. In the Old Testament, one of the ways you'll see this is um, the, what, what is referred to as the high place. From the very get-go, back then, it was kind of a physical picture of a spiritual truth. Altars, powerful moments were always in a mountain, in a high place. It was kind of, a, it was kind of symbolic in nature. What, what God is saying is, I wanna be above everything else in your life. I've, I'm first. I want your best. I want first place in your life. So you'll see this all through scripture. When Abraham you know, is gonna slay his only son, he's on his way up to the mountain to build an altar. When, when, when Noah builds his altar, it's when the ark crashes into the mountain and, and they're in a high place to build this altar. Um, 
You see this all through scripture. Uh, Laban and Jacob offered sacrifices on the mountain of Gilead. Moses did not meet God in the plains. He met him on, on Mount Sinai in a high place, okay? Um, the temp, even the Temple Mount, when the, 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 when the temple was built, it was built on the Temple Mount. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's in the high place. It's always in the high place. And even in the, the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, at the end of 1 Kings and pretty much all of 2 Kings, you, there's these elaborate stories about King David, elaborate stories about Solomon. And then the further it gets away, the summary of these kings' life are like two, three sentences. Can you imagine if your whole life, somebody wrote about you 100 years from now, and they had to summarize your whole life in two sentences? What would they say? Some of these kings have to be like, that's not fair. I did a lot more than that. I was a good guy, you know? So they will summarize these kings in a couple of ways. They will say he walked in the sins of his father, or they'll say he did not walk in the sins of his father. And then almost every single king that is described, it will say this, one of two things. It will say he tore down the high places and the Asherah poles, or he did not tear down the high places. And their kingdom, for the most part, as they ruled and reigned, was literally boiled down to this point of whether the kingdom was cursed or blessed based on whether or not they were willing to tear down the high places. Because what happened is out of laziness, out of convenience, we, 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 we've been, Pastor Oscar and I and Pastor Wade and Pastor Dale, uh, we've been to Israel. We, we've been to Dan in the very northern region of Israel. In Dan, they built a high place. They built an altar out of convenience. I wouldn't want to have to walk all the way to Jerusalem either. That's a long walk. So let's just build a high place here. It's easier. Let's, let's, let's put something high. Let's elevate something above God, right? So I'm sitting. <laughs> Man, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's hard to talk about it without being emotional. I was sitting at the Edmund campus last week. And, and I'm, I'm holding this cup and I'm holding this bread and I'm just kind of, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to tell me? And the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear and said, John, I'm ready when you are. When you give me your best, I'll give you mine. And the Lord began to just show me things in my life, none of them sinful, not one thing that he began to reveal to me is sin. But he, he very subtly, very gently, very lovingly began to show me areas and components of my life where I have built high places. Uh, another word we would use for this is idols. Another big problem with the Israelites is they just couldn't help themselves. They could not help themselves. They just built little idols over and over and over again something that they could bow down to, something that they could see, something that would comfort them, something that felt more tangible because they can't see God, but at least I can see this golden calf and I can kind of, you know, make it help me feel comfortable. And we don't do this anymore. We don't build idols. At least I don't. If you do, that's kind of weird, but that whatever you do, you know, if you build a little tiny little wooden idol, but we still have idols, do we not? We still build little idols and really an idol is anything other than Jesus that we use to feel happy or complete. Uh, Steve Cuss, uh, he came and spoke to our staff a couple of years ago. He's a, a great, great man of God, great consultant. 
And he, he, he said this about idols. I think this is very, very brilliant. He said, you know something is an idol when you sacrifice time, power, and resources in order to get it. This can be things that really aren't sinful, um, but they become idols. And, they, and, and I would refer to these even as, as what I would say dysfunctional saviors things that we do to bring comfort. It's, it's, the, it's the one glass of wine a week that turns into every day. Then it, it turns into something that I enjoy with some friends to I must have this to go to sleep. It's a dysfunctional savior. Dysfunctional saviors come in, 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 in lots of forms. They come in plastic bottles. They come in glass bottles. Uh, they come in stacks of green cash. Uh, they come in, in insecurities, trying to feed my insecurity, and I gotta, I gotta go above and beyond to find my own platform, wherever that is. Social media can be an idol. Anywhere that I'm finding comfort, anywhere that I have to go to over and over again to get comfort. And this is why, this is why fasting is so important. When you fast... When you say, you know what, I'm gonna fast, and if you're fasting and it doesn't hurt, you're not fasting. <laughs> when you fast, you should feel it, and what you're feeling is you are tearing down a high place. Because lots of things, you know what you need to fast? You need to fast whatever you need for comfort. It's coffee, cheesecake, whatever. Ding-dongs, could be that. Any others? No, I'm just kidding. We're fasting things that, that bring us comfort. And this is why fasting is so important. Like, why am I going to fast? I don't need to fast. You need to fast because you unknowingly, if your pastor is, if I've been vulnerable enough to tell you that I've done it, be vulnerable enough to say, yeah, maybe there's some things in my life that I have elevated. What you're saying is there are some things in my life that I have elevated. Really, what, if I really want to boil it down, I have elevated some things above God. And I'm finding comfort in things that I should not find comfort in. And so, so fasting is a, is, a, is a way that we discipline ourselves to say, God, I'm tearing down anything in my life that has made its way to be more important than you. And I'm gonna fast that and I'm gonna lean into that. And don't be surprised when you're asked to lay something down that it's a sacrifice. Ask Abraham. All right. So I, I know, I know, you know, when I get serious like that, and you know, our first reaction is, well, you know, I don't really think it's a problem. I've got it under control. I don't think it's that. You know, I hear you, John, and yeah, everybody else in here has probably got that, and I'll be praying for them because they really do need the Lord, you know. But I just want to tell you, we're all susceptible to this. At any given day, we're all susceptible to putting up high places, and I want to illustrate this real quickly by showing you someone who did this, who in my opinion is the least likely person in the Bible to do this. Solomon is described as the wisest human being to ever walk the face of the earth. If there's anybody who should know this, it should be Solomon. And I wanna show you what Solomon did in 1 Kings eleven four. It says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. What, why? Because his loyalties became divided. 
as the heart of David, his father had been. Now I want you to jump down to verse seven for the sake of time. Verse seven says, on a hill east of Jerusalem, which I've stood there and I've seen the very hill they're talking about, Solomon built, what he built? A high place. He built a high place for, you have to do this, Hamash, that's what that is. The detestable God of Moab and from Molech, the detestable God of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, which there was a bunch of them who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. Now watch what happened, verse nine. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's commands. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I command you, this is what he's saying, this is what you can expect. I will most certainly tear down the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, why? Because David gave his best. I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hands of your son. I need you to go on a journey. I'm asking you to go on a journey of whether or not you can say the phrase and believe the phrase, I expect God's best. I'm here to tell you that you should and you can expect God's best. But we also have to know that I don't always know best. I don't always do best. But regardless, I'm gonna always give my best. I'm gonna give my best to the Lord. And I believe that it's then and only then that we can legitimately utter the words, I expect God's best. I expect God's best. There's a real, if you're into shortcuts, I can give you a really fast track shortcut to do all these things really fast, all right? So all, all the cheaters lean in, all right? There's really one word, if you wanna fast track all this, you could just start using the word surrender. If you really wanna expect God's best, you should surrender. <laughs> you should surrender to the fact that you don't always know best, know best. You should surrender to the fact that you don't always do best. And you should completely surrender every component and aspect of your life and give God your very best. It's complete and utter, utter abandonment that I'm surrendering everything I know, everything I do, and everything I am to give my best to the Lord. And then and only then can I really say, I expect God's best. Um, I save the best for last. If you really want to expect God's best, can I just tell you something? He's already given you his best. <laughs> God sent his only son, right? To die for us. Jesus, out of choice, left heaven, came to earth, put on flesh, crawled up on a cross, innocent, didn't deserve anything. I think he's already given us his best. <laughs> so at the same time we say we expect God's best for the future, we should simultaneously be saying the words, and he's already given it to me. One of the, one of the most confident ways that I can say I expect God's best is because Paul said death has been swallowed up with victory. The battle has already been won. We will spend eternity in heaven. I don't care if you have the worst life on planet earth. 
you get to spend eternity in heaven. That's best. That's best. It's not best case scenario, it's best. It just is. And so I wanna do a couple things as we close. I wanna pray. Um, I'm gonna pray for all of us here, all of us at the Edmund campus, those of us watching online. What I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna pray that you get God's best. I'm not gonna have an altar call and lay hands on you as if me laying hands on you could give you God's best. Mm -mm. I don't even wanna pray that you get God's best. I'm just gonna pray that you come to the knowledge and understanding that you don't always do best. <laughs> and you don't always know best, but that you should always do your best and give your best. And I think that if you accomplish those three things, if you can surrender yourself to those three things, I think you can boldly declare every single day, I expect God's best. Can we pray for just a second, Lord? Thank you, first and foremost, that you have already given us enough. You've already given us your best. We're thankful for salvation. We're thankful that the component of this sermon of I don't always do best, the good thing about that is even when I don't do best, you've already redeemed it. You forgive, you restore all shame, all condemnation. So we thank you for that. And simultaneously, God, the scriptures are very clear that we should confess our sins. And God, we don't always do best. We have made mistakes over and over and over and over again. And we're thankful for God who forgives us and what we say, Lord, is we pray that you would work all things together for our good, even the mistakes by your grace. God, we understand and we know that maybe in the past we have blamed things on you and been frustrated with God and we've been mad at you. But today we understand and we, 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 we acknowledge that we just don't always know best. And so we want to stop dividing our loyalties and being unstable. Father, I pray that every person in this room, every person at Edmond, every person watching online would have the faith to stop being divided in our faith, that we would put our faith in God alone and we could lean into the concept of saying, we expect God's best. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.